So here we are. We are in the middle of chapter 37, and this is going to be one of the my, most mind-blowing chapters. Well, I can't say that because they really are. <laughs> They're all. But we're going to be learning some concepts that just transform the way we see the world, the way we see life. So we started off like this. Last chapter, we were talking about Hashem's desire in having a dwelling place in the lowest realms. He wanted to live down here, specifically where people don't recognize him, where he's not just innately seen. And right over here in these lowest realms, he's going to be at home. His essence is going to shine. Now that era that we're thinking of, that future that we keep praying for, is not divorced from the time where we live now. It's actually a product of the time. We are creating that future. You ever heard that saying, the best way to predict the future is by creating it? We are actually creating the future now. And how are we creating the future? Because every single time that we do a mitzvah, what we are doing is we are drawing down the light of the Ein Sof, Hashem's infinite light, into that physical object. We can't see it now. But eventually, what we are doing now is going to be revealed. And all of it's going to shine. And we're going to see Hashem at home right here in this world. So we started to talk about that not only is it the physical objects that are getting elevated every single time we do a mitzvah, but it's also our animal soul. There's a personal experience going on here. We have a divine soul and we have our animal natural soul. And every time we involve our animal soul in the act of a mitzvah, we elevate our animal soul to holiness. And we started to visit the subject of what if we are doing a speech performed mitzvah? Is our animal soul involved then? Because we're talking about physical action. What about speaking? What about Torah study? What about prayer? And the answer is yes. In order to speak, we need our animal soul. Yes, it's not as much involvement as in a truly physical act. But nevertheless, in order to speak, our animal soul is involved and therefore it gets elevated in that act. Here we are in the middle of page five. We just finished saying that the divine soul cannot express itself with the physical lips, mouth, tongue, or teeth, the instruments of speech, except by way of the vitalizing animal soul actually clothed in the organs of the body. Therefore, the animal soul is getting elevated because it is involved in the act. The divine soul cannot act upon the body if not for the medium of the animal soul. And because it's involved in this act of speaking, it's getting elevated. Now, Hence, the more forcefully one speaks words of Torah or prayer, the more of the animal soul's energy he introduces and clothes in these words. Thereby, he converts more of the energy of the klipa to holiness. So the Alter Rebbe says it's a mathematical equation. Yes, the animal soul is involved when we speak words of prayer, when we speak words of Torah. The more energy we invest in that speech, the more of our animal soul is involved. And the more that our animal soul is involved, the more of it gets elevated to holiness. 
This is also the meaning of the verse, All my bones shall declare, God, who is like you? Which means that the words of Torah and prayer must be said with all of one's bones, so that as much as possible of the body's energy be utilized in performing the mitzvot. So David HaMelech writes in Tehillim, All my bones shall declare, God, who is like you? That means that it has to be an experience that's totally immersive. Our whole being is in it. The more our being is in this act, the more of our vitalizing animal soul is elevated to holiness. Now, listen to this. This is why our sages have said, if the Torah abides in all 248 limbs, it is preserved in your memory. Otherwise, it is not preserved. So this is referring to the story of Bruria, as we mentioned last week, the brilliant wife of Rabbi Meir, the daughter of Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion. She once came across a student who was studying quietly and she reprimanded him. And she said, don't you know what it says in the prophets? Arucha bakal ushmura, ordered in all things and secured. If the Torah is ordered, arranged in all 248 of your limbs, it will be secured. If not, you're going to forget it. And in fact, this is what the Rambam writes in Hilchas Talmud Torah, the laws of Torah study. He says, Whoever raises his voice during his studies will permanently acquire the subject matter. In contrast, one who reads silently will forget. Torah study has to be an immersive experience. So if you expect to just kind of lie down on the couch, flip through a magazine, and own it forever, sorry, you're out of luck. That's not how it's going to work. And it's for more than one reason, as we're going to see. One of the reasons is that we are investing more of our animal soul. And the more of our animal soul that's invested in it, the more it gets elevated to holiness. And this is something really fascinating. What does elevating the animal soul to holiness have to do with not forgetting? So listen to this. For forgetfulness in matters of Torah stems from the klipa of the body and vitalizing animal soul derived from the klipa noga. So why do people forget what they learn? Because of the klipa. Forgetfulness is from the klipa. And in fact, in the Midrash, it says like this, So the Midrash Tanchoma says like this, The Holy One, blessed be He, said, In this world, you learn and forget because of the evil impulse. But in the future to come, I am uprooting the evil impulse from you and you will not forget, as it is stated, I will remove the heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. So, people study and they forget. Why do they forget? Let's look at forgetting. Why do people forget anything, not just Torah study? A person studies something and then it doesn't stick with them. There are certain things that you're just not going to forget. Do people forget to put food in their mouths? Do people forget who they are? They don't. 
Why? Because that's who they are. Those are things you're not going to forget. You don't need a good memory for that. It's just who you are. When something's important to you so that you feel like your life depends on it, you just don't forget. And something interesting about that is, you know, those people that are not necessarily very smart, but remember all the stats for football players? It's important to them. So this is one thing. You remember what's important to you. But there's a mystical reason why people preserve their Torah study when they elevate their animal soul. This is accomplished when one weakens their power, the power of the body and animal soul, applying all their strength to the holiness of Torah and prayer. So what happens is that a person should becoming totally fused with their Torah knowledge. Because Torah knowledge is essentially who they are. If we think of ourselves in terms of our divine soul, well, let's take it a step back. Let's take it a step back for one second. Let's, let's take the other side. Really, we should never remember anything we learn from the Torah. Why? Because Torah is Hashem's infinite wisdom. We are finite beings. How could finite beings retain the infinite? Impossible. However, why are we finite? We're finite because of our illusion or delusion, thinking that we are a separate being than Hashem. The Kalipa makes us feel like we're independent. There's Hashem, there's the person. That klipa makes the person limited. When a person weakens the klipa and elevates it to holiness, it is no longer in the way, and then they're in touch with their infinite self. And when they're in that space of infinity, they're able to absorb the knowledge of infinity, and that stays with them forever. So there's two things that we're talking about. One thing that we're talking about is really what the author of is saying right here, that when you weaken the klipa, you weaken its power of forgetfulness. And therefore, you remember what you learn. That's why Torah study has to be an all-immersive experience. Why? Because you're investing more of your animal soul's energies. And when you invest your animal soul's energies into the mitzvah, those energies are elevated to holiness. When the animal soul's energies are elevated to holiness, it's no longer in the way. And now it doesn't cause you to forget. So you remember what you learned. But then there's also just from the physical aspect, and that is when something is important to you, you remember it. There's a story of one of the Hasidic masters who had an argument with one of his students who was a profound Torah scholar, and they were arguing on the version of the commentary of the Taisvais. The Rebbe said it was one way, and the student said, look, I just learned it a few days before. I'm sure Taisvei says it this way. And the Rebbe said, listen, I actually have not seen that Taisvei for 15 years, but I can tell you that the Taisvei is written exactly as I tell you. And they went to go see who's right, and it was the Rebbe. And the abashed student looked at his Rebbe and said, I don't understand. You didn't look at it for 15 years. How were you so accurate? And he said to him, let me ask you a question. You remember your wedding? He said, yeah. He said, you remember who accompanied you to the chuppah? He said, yeah. 
Remember who stood at your right when you veiled the bride? Yeah, he said, well, every time he studies Torah, to him, it's like a wedding. And so he never forgets. And that's exactly it. When it becomes so important to the person, it becomes one with them. And then they don't forget. So this is really about becoming an all-immersive experience. This is for Torah study. This is for prayer. And in fact, when a person sways when they study Torah, when a person sways when they pray, they're using their voice and they're also using their body. That invests more of the animal soul into that experience. Now, we say, all my bones shall declare, so you can think that it means that you sit there with the book and you scream on top of your lungs. That's not what it means. In fact, when we're talking about prayer, it comes to Shimona Esri, you're not allowed to scream. The law is, you have to say it in a whisper. So how could it be, all my bones declare? It means with physical exertion. The son of the Alter Rebbe, the Mittal Rebbe, when he would pray, you wouldn't see any overt excitement or outward movement, but perspiration would be dripping from his strimal, from his hat, because of the exertion during prayer. And they say similarly about the Rujana Rebbe, that after he would pray, even though you couldn't see any excitement, you couldn't see loud screaming or physical bodily movement, he had to change his clothes, complete change of clothes because of the exertion. In fact, Rabbi Steinzalt says that it's much harder to restrain yourself than not. So they were sweating so much because they were so excited and they weren't showing their excitement physically, outwardly. But nevertheless, it took a lot of physical exertion to hold themselves back from the excitement they experienced during prayer. So this is the thing. Torah study and prayer has to be an immersive experience. What's in, when it's immersive, then it's preserved in our memory. It becomes one with us. And when it's immersive, it takes up more of the animal soul. And that's what we're trying to do. Elevate more of the animal soul to holiness. So if you remember, the point is that we're creating the future right now. So every time we draw down holiness into this world, we are not seeing what we're doing yet, but eventually it will be revealed. And we're going to see how the entire world is a home for Hashem. Okay, but I still don't get it. We use some objects for a mitzvah. We use our personal animal soul for Torah study, for prayer, and for using the energy of the body. But how is that the entire world? Didn't we say that eventually Hashem's essence is going to be revealed in the entire world? How are we elevating the entire world? A few of us private people are doing our own little thing, using our own little objects, and drawing down holiness into it. There's a whole world out there. How is that happening? So wait till you see what's coming. I'm skipping the notes from Lessons in Tanya, and we're going to move straight to the text. We're on page 7, if you printed it out. Zeis v'ayt acheres. An additional virtue in mitzvot involving action, aside from their function in elevating one's animal soul mentioned above. So when we do the mitzvah, zeis, this, as we said before, is we're elevating our animal soul and we're elevating the physical objects that we use in the mitzvah. But there's more. The vitalizing soul's energy clothed in the utterance of letters of one's speech in Torah study, prayer, or the like, or the energy clothed in the performance of mitzvot involving action, 
Hare kol gidulai. Starting again. Hare kol gidulai vechayusai mehadam. Shehu miklipas nega mamash. Derives its entire growth and vitality from the blood, which is of klipat noga itself. So we have to move back a step. We're using our animal soul. Where does our animal soul get, it, get its energy from? It gets its energy from blood. The Talmud tells us that it, everybody needs at least a certain amount of blood, a revias of blood, to hold body and soul together. The blood is where the animal soul resides, and it's what carries energy throughout the body. Okay, so it's not just our animal soul that's getting elevated, it's also blood. Now let's move back one more step. Shehein kol aichalin umashkin sha'achal v'shasa v'na'asu dam meaning all the food and drink that one has eaten and drunk and which have become blood. So, yes, it's blood, but what is blood? The essence of the blood is the food and drink that we eat. The Alter Rebbe says that every single day we need to renew our blood with food and drink. This is what he writes in Kuntra's Achrin. So, it's the animal soul. It's the blood. It's the food and drink that were used to power the blood. These were under the dominion of the Klipat Noga and drew their vitality from it. Now that the person performs a mitzvah with the energy derived from this food and drink, this Klipa is transformed from evil to good and is absorbed into holiness. So originally, his animal soul was under the dominion of the Klipat Noga. His blood, the food, the drinks, all of that were under the dominion of Klikbat Noga. When a person uses his animal soul's energy, it means he's using his blood's energy. It means he's using the food and drinks energy. He's taking so much of the world with him, much more than he can see. By means of the animal soul that grows from it, meaning the energy nourished by those objects that derive their vitality from this klipa, which has now clothed itself in these letters of Torah and prayer or in the performance of this mitzvah, Actually, my commentary says the object of this mitzvah, and I can tell you the reason why, but I won't go into it. So it's the life energy of the object of the mitzvah, which actually constitute the unveiled expression of the inner aspect of God's will. Okay, so let's look at what's going on in this train. There's the mitzvah. What is the mitzvah? The mitzvah is Hashem's will. That means the mitzvah is the light of the Ein Sof, Baruch Hu. Pretty wild. Remember, everything else in this world hides the truth that there's nothing else besides Hashem. The mitzvah, there's no hiding of the truth. There's nothing else besides Hashem's will. A mitzvah is Hashem's will. Hashem's will is the light of the Ein Sof. So within this mitzvah gets clothed the energy of the physical object, the energy of the animal soul in this mitzvah. And within that is clothed the energy of the blood, the energy of the food, all of this is getting clothed in the light of the Ein Saif Baruch Hu. So there is the words that the person says, the object that they use in order to do a mitzvah. These get absorbed into the light of Hashem. There's the energy of the animal soul used in the mitzvah to do the act or to say the words. Those get, that gets enclosed into 
the life energy of the object or the life energy of the words absorbed in the light of Hashem. And then powering that as the blood and powering that as the food with this mitzvah act, so much of the world gets elevated to Hashem. And their vitality, the vitality expended in performing mitzvot is also absorbed, like the mitzvot themselves, into the blessed Ein Sof Light, which is his will as expressed in mitzvot. And with their vitality, the energy of the animal soul is likewise elevated and absorbed into the Ein Sof Light and since the energy necessary for performing mitzvot was supplied by food and drink, the vitality of the food and drink is likewise absorbed in the Ein Sof light, together with the mitzvah whose performance it made possible. So we were wondering, how is the whole world going to be transformed by us few people doing mitzvot? Yes, we have some objects that we use. Yes, we use our own animal soul. But there's more than that. There's the blood. And there's the food that power the blood. But it goes way, way back further than we've explored. It goes back, you know, it says it takes a village. It takes a world to power our mitzvah object. The Alter Rebbe says like this, Thereby, all of the klipat noga, which constitutes the vitality of this physical corporeal world as a whole, will ascend as well. Everything's going to ascend. Now, Hasidim would look at this passage in Tanya and bring to mind the words of the Rambam. The Rambam, in his introduction to his commentary on the Mishnah, wrote a very fascinating introduction. A lot of people call it an introduction to the Talmud. He explains the transmission of the Torah, the oral Torah, from Moshe Rabbeinu all the way through the generations. He explores different topics, and one of the things he explores is the purpose of man, the purpose of life the purpose of creation. And he explains that man's purpose, ultimately, he said, you'll look at a tool, right? You see a saw. You're going to know that somebody first had an idea and then made the tool. They're not going to first make something and say, hey, what are we going to do with this? That's not how it works. You're like, I have to cut two pieces of wood apart. How, how I, I have to make two pieces of wood out of this one. How am I going to make that happen? Let's figure out. Oh, we need some iron. We need some wood. We're going to make a saw. We're going to sharpen it and cut this down. Okay, the tool was created with a purpose in mind. He said, if an artificially created tool was created with a purpose in mind, how much more so all of this universe? Of course, Hashem had a plan when he created this universe. And he said, everything is here to serve mankind. As generations progress, we see how animals, plants, they all have some type of benefit to mankind. Some of it we know, some of it we'll find out. But eventually, everything is for mankind. He said, okay, mankind, what's his purpose? He said, he's so different than every other creature. Every other creature has like one or two capacities. Man has, besides his many capacities, the capacity to understand. And what is his understanding for? His understanding is to come to realize the oneness of Hashem. And all the many abstract, brilliant things that he learns, the sciences, the wisdoms, are just to sharpen his mind so he can get used to the abstractions, so he can come to recognize the oneness of Hashem. 
He needs to do that. And in order to do that, he also has to distance himself from the pleasures of the world so they don't distract him and weigh him down. And his ultimate goal is to realize the oneness of Hashem. He said, well, you're going to look around this whole world and you're going to see that most people don't live their lives that way. Most people chase after trivialities and vanities. What would be the point of the rest of the mankind? There's only so few people that dedicate themselves to this, to realize the one of Hashem. What's the point of everybody else? So he writes like this. The person, the man is inherently deficient and needs many things in order to live. He, the person of intellect, would have to learn the skills of plowing, harvesting, threshing, grinding, baking. Likewise, he would have to learn the skills of spinning and weaving in order to weave what he needs to wear. When would he have free time to learn and acquire wisdom? Therefore, all these other people were created to perform all these jobs that society requires so that the wise man will find his needs prepared for him. And he says like this, It is possible that there would be a wealthy man who does not work, but rather at rest because of his abundant money, money or property, He may command his servants to build a palace that is the epitome of beauty in the manner of kings and those who are like them. It is possible that this palace is being prepared for a pious man who will come to in the distant future and find shelter one day in the shade of one of its walls and this will cause him to be saved from death. So we see a whole world out there. It's really to support the cause of just a few individuals who are dedicated to knowing the oneness of Hashem. He says, have you, he said, he says like this, how rightly, how correctly did someone say that if not for the madmen, the world would be destroyed? He said, have you ever seen someone crazier? People who are of weak and frail spirit travel across the globe to earn a few coins to pay a couple of workmen to make themselves a house which will outlast them. They risk their lives for that. We need people like that. So the world will continue to exist. All these people settle the world. In fact, the Rambam says that's why the Chachamim, the sages, called the ignorant person Am Haaretz. It means the nation of the land. These are the people who settle the land. These are the people who keep life going. They make sure there's food to eat. They make sure there's clothes to wear. It's all in support of this person who is going to study Hashem's Torah, acquire his wisdom, and come to know him. He said, I'm going to give you another reason why the rest of society exists. And you might think this is a trivial reason, but actually it's even more important than the first reason. And he quotes our Chachamim, our sages saying, The entire world was created to serve as companions for him, which means to remove his sadness and the desolation of his loneliness. He needs company. How sad and boring it would be if there weren't all those other people in the world. So really, the existence of all of mankind is to support this tiny little kernel of truth. And you can think, my goodness, can you really see things that way? Is it possible? We don't understand it, but that's how it is. And so, we tell a story of the Rebbe, that a man was speaking to the Rebbe about this idea. And he said, I don't understand. 
There are entire countries out there that are full of hundreds of millions of people, maybe just a handful of Jews. How is that whole country going to be elevated to holiness? How are we creating a home for Hashem there? And the Rebbe said, look at your coat. Opened up his coat and it said, made in, my book doesn't say which country it was, but I'm just going to guess. <laughs> made in a certain country. And he said, you have to understand that all those factories, all those workers, everything it took to create the factories and, and supply the workers, creates these coats, which you're wearing one of them. And a Jew goes out on a cold winter night and puts on the coat to do a mitzvah, he elevates all of that. Could you imagine? He elevates all of that. That's why it's such a wild idea. Really, all of history was here for this moment. We have the power to take all of world history and transform it in the act of a mitzvah, or not even in the act of a mitzvah, but in the way Shlom HaMelech said, Know him in all your ways. That's the will of Hashem. Hashem wants us to know him in all our ways. So when we in business recognize divine providence and see Hashem's goodness, how he orchestrates things just so for our success, that's also the will of Hashem. And when we do business in that fashion, just regular everyday living, seeing divine providence, we elevate everything it takes to make that business. And that could be an entire country teeming with population that creates just one coat for us to use, or one log, or one object, whatever it is, when we use that object in recognition for Hashem, we elevate an entire world with that. One year, Purim 1965, the Rebbe spoke about this idea. He spoke about a passage in the Talmud that asks, from where are we obligated to start reading the Megillah on Purim in order to fulfill our obligation? There are different opinions. Rabbi Meir says you have to start from the beginning of the Megillah. And it was in the days of Achashverosh who ruled from Hodi to Kush, 127 countries, and then talks about a party he made after three years. That's not the only opinion. And in fact, usually the halacha is not like Rabbi Meir. There are other opinions. The opinion of Rabbi Shurim Bar Yochai, that you start from Balai Lahahu on that night, where that's the power of the miracle started. There's an opinion that you start from Vinahafaihu, right at the end of the Megillah, and it was reversed. The Jews' enemies were hoping to rule over them, and it was reversed, and the Jews ruled over their enemies. But no, the halacha is you start the Megillah from Vayahi Bimeachashverish, something seemingly so unconnected, just outlining world events, politics. You know what it took for Akashverish to rule over 127 countries? There were wars beforehand with Babylonia, with Koresh, till he came to be Melech Maishel Bakipa, a king who rules over basically the whole world, over the dome. Hashem literally had to work the ministering angels and the entire Seder Hishtalshlis, the whole order of the worlds, to put Akashverish in charge of 127 countries. And then Bafashi doesn't come to the party. What does that have to do with the Jews? It should start from where it applies to the Jews. A decree is passed over them. They're, God forbid, going to be annihilated. They use the rules of nature. They have pull their strings. They do their thing. And the decree is annulled. But the Rebbe says like this. You might think you could have done better, but Hashem knows his creation. And when he puts Achashverosh in charge of 127 countries, and he moves world events 
politics for years in advance, it's for this, that it will be reversed, that the Jews rule over their enemies. For the miracle to happen, it took world transformation. Why is it that way? We don't know. That's the way Hashem did it. But the Rebbe said that you should never be discouraged. Because like Esther said, Kisvuni Ladairis, write me down for generations. This is not just about Purim. This is a life lesson for generations. All of world events are here to support our actions in Torah and mitzvahs. And our actions in Torah and mitzvahs actually elevate the whole world and its entirety. And in fact, that's what the Ramam writes in Halchai's Teshuva. He writes like this. If he performs one mitzvah, he tips his balance and that of the entire world to the side of merit and brings deliverance and salvation to himself and others. The whole world. The Ramam's talking about the whole world. Yes, if you'll read the whole Ramam, you'll say he has to see himself as half and half and the whole world as half and half. Just balance skills, scales and he's the one who tips the scale. But if we look at it in light of what we've seen in Tanya today, that really through one act, a person has the power to pull the whole world with him. Here is a fascinating passage from the Talmud talking about what's going to happen in the future to come says like this, in the future to come, I should read it directly from the words of the Talmud. In the future, the Holy One, blessed be he, will bring a Torah scroll and place it in his lap and say, anyone who engaged in his study should come and take his reward. Immediately, the nations of the world will gather, will gather together and come intermingled with each other. As it is stated, all the nations are gathered together and let the peoples be assembled. The Holy One, blessed be he, will say to them, do not enter before me intermingled. Rather, let each and every nation enter with their scholars. So the Gemara progresses and it says that first the Roman people enter. They come to claim the reward for engaging in Torah study, right? Hashem says, here's the Torah. Whoever engages reward, come. Whoever engaged in it, come get your reward. The Holy One, blessed be he, says to them, with what did you occupy yourselves? They say before him in response, master of the universe, we have established many marketplaces. We have built many bathhouses and have increased much silver and gold. And we did all of this for the sake of the Jewish people so that they would be free to engage in the Torah study of Torah. The Holy One, blessed be he says to them, fools of the world, everything you did, you did for your own needs. You established marketplaces to place prostitutes in them, bathhouses for your own enjoyment and for silver and gold, it's mine. Like the Navi Chagai says, Liha Kasev, Lihazav, Nam Hashem. Mine is the silver, mine is the gold, says Hashem. So you look at the story and it sounds kind of interesting. I mean, okay, so the Romans are coming and they're asking for reward for Torah study. And what did you do for Torah study? Well, we supported the Jews. And Hashem doesn't call them liars, Hashem only calls them fools. The famed Hasidic master, Rabbi Tzadik HaKain of Lublin, writes in his work on the Torah, Pre Tzadik, that you look at the story more carefully and you're going to see. We're talking about the future. At that time, everybody's going to believe in Hashem. When the Romans are coming to claim their reward, they're going to believe in Hashem. They're not going to try to fool Hashem. It's going to be a time of total vision. Hindsight's always 2020. They're going to look back and they're going to realize that everything in world events was in order to support the Jews in their service of Hashem.
in order to support the Jews to engage in Torah study and mitzvah performance. So yeah, that's not what they had in mind. But in fact, that's what they were doing. They were building bathhouses and marketplaces. True, they were thinking about themselves. But in the end, it was really for the Jewish people. So Hashem's going to say, not liars, because you're, you're right. You did do it for the Jews, but fools, because it's foolish to try to claim reward for something you didn't intend. Hashem desires the heart. Hashem sees the heart. He knows what your intentions are. So this is really life-changing because we realize that every small act that we do elevates an entire world with it. Let's look at the chain. So there's the mitzvah, which is Hashem's blessed will, which is the light of the Ein Sof Baruch Hu. There's the object that we use to perform the mitzvah. Its energy is absorbed into the light of the Ein Sof. The words that we say, that energy is absorbed into the light of the Ein Sof. Our animal soul that powers the mitzvah through speaking or doing is absorbed into the light of the Ein Sof. But the animal soul, where does it get its life? Where does it get its energy? From the blood. And that's absorbed. And the blood, what is its essence? It's food and drink. But then the train goes back further and further. The people that planted the food, the factories that packaged the food, everything going back eventually pulls a whole world with it. And in the act of a mitzvah, we literally raise up the entirety of Klipas Noga of this world, as the author writes over here. Thereby, all of Klipat Noga, which constitutes the vitality of this physical and corporeal world as a whole, will ascend as well. The entire world is getting elevated to holiness. So I'm going to stop at this section and I'm going to sum up what we said today. We're talking about the future that we're creating right now. We're talking about creating an abode for Hashem, not just in a little corner of the world, but in the whole world. How are we doing that? We're doing that with every act of a mitzvah. Every time we do a mitzvah, we draw down the light of the Ein Sof into that mitzvah. We elevate our animal soul to Hashem. And when we do that, we elevate the entire village, the entire world that made the possibility for that mitzvah. And it's not just when we do a mitzvah act as in formal mitzvah, but when we act according to the will of Hashem, by living in the way of Bechol Drachacha Da'ehu, know Him in all your ways, see Him in everything, we're elevating an entire world with us. So may we see the effects of our actions right now and realize the power of the now and realize that all of world history depends on us and what we're going to do with this moment. So I am opening up now for questions and discussion.